This is the Mobile Tech Podcast, brought to you by worldpodcasts.com. Now here's your host, Tank Girl, Miriam Joie. Hi, and welcome to the Mobile Tech Podcast. I'm your host, Miriam Joar, and today is Tuesday, June 20th, 2017. It is one plus five day, and I have one, and so does my guest, the wonderful and amazing Andrew Martonic of Android Central. Hi, Andrew. Hey, thanks for having me on, and yes, I, I also have my one plus five here, and it's nice uh, rosewood case. I think all the cool kids have a one plus five this week. <laughs> um, I mean, there was an embargo. So all of us who have, uh, you know, uh, some sort of publication channel of any significance, I think have a one plus five this week. Good news though, right? I mean, it is a decent phone for the money. What, what did you take? Let's get started on this. Yeah, I think it, I mean, all these discussions about the one plus five start with the price. I mean, 479 kind of sets the stage. And I, I know a lot of people have high expectations of one plus phones, but I, and of course they're talking a big game about the cameras. We can get to that in a minute. But I think as far as like the base level, what you get for the money, they're still, you know, completely outpacing their price. And that's, that's the important part. You know, and I completely agree with you. Like, People are going to watch my half hour review video because, you know, I just, <laughs> I didn't on. do it live because I couldn't because it was embargoed, but I basically treated it as a live video. I recorded with the HTC U11, which I want to discuss later. But basically what I'm saying is that I, uh, you know, I went on and on about this. The fact that you're getting a solid foundation, you're getting flagship grade hardware all around, right? Yeah. And I would, and I would say that the only thing that's lacking there for me is probably the display. I don't really, yes. I don't really care about 1080p necessarily. I think it looks good in terms of like crispness, but it, it's still a little dull and not quite as bright. I mean, I'm used to using uh, an LG G6, Galaxy S8, like the fantastic in the U11, really, really good displays. And so I feel like it's a little bit lacking having the same display after you know after the OnePlus Three, same display. Yeah, no, I agree with you. I think for me, I would put it slightly differently in so far that I feel that the U11 display doesn't hit the mark for me, it's primar primarily in brightness. Sure. Um, it's definitely a better display in terms of, you know, color balance and all that, but it's it's not bright enough for me in sunlight when I take photos, whereas the OnePlus display, even though it's 1080p um, and it's no change from last year's uh, you know, 3T is really bright, which I think for me as an older person now, <laughs> starts <laughs> to really get very helpful. I think it definitely helps that you're you're working with the base level of AMOLED, so you have that lower reflectivity as well. Like that definitely helps, especially if you compare it, like you said, to the U11 or G6. I just think that you know, as overall, when you talk about the colors, the saturation, everything, it, it's just not quite there. But no, again, it's, I mean, it's not. It, it's one of those cost-cutting measures. Yeah, and you know, the other thing is, um, you know, lack of OIS, which we're going to get to, right? Because that's an expensive proposition, especially on two lenses. Um, then the other thing that's always been an issue for me with OnePlus, considering what their kind of mission statement is, is the lack of SD card support. Right. Um, Not a I, huge deal, right? I, I'm of two minds there because they, they at least offer the 128 gig model yeah. from the start. This time, yeah, no, instead absolutely. of doing that extra, that extra special edition release, but yeah, it's kind of one of those things where you know Huawei uh, usually does. You know, it's a dual SIM phone, but you can use that second SIM slot as an SD card slot, and that would kind of be something where they could just meet in the middle. 
Yeah, I think it's kind of odd considering who they are and who they're going after. You know, in the same way as the Pixel and the Nexus hasn't had uh, an SD card slot since, well, the second Nexus, in fact, because I think the Nexus 1 was the only one with an SD card slot. So um, those are my only, you know, minor gripes. And lack of waterproofing is obviously an issue, but I yeah. think that's because, you know, we're used to it now on a lot of devices. Even HTC got there eventually. <laughs> Finally, yeah, but they killed the headphone jack, which sure. is I'm still vexed about very majorly. Um, mostly because their adapter that comes in the box stinks in terms of sound quality. And when you see, you know, uh, we should talk about that real quickly. I, like I'll insert it in here. Uh, LG is launching a G6 Plus, which we might be getting in the US, which is essentially a G6 with more storage. Um, and, and new colors. The, the new colors, thank you. And the Hi-Fi Quad DAC, which, trust me, the base G6 already has a pretty amazing audio output on the headphone jack, better than the U11's uh, little headphone dongle. And then on top of that, now we're going to get the Quad DAC, which to me made the V20 the best-sounding phone of all time. And unfortunately, um, they you know, did all these weird skews where you, you know, got wireless charging, but not the quad DAC or you got neither depending on where you were in the world. So So that's resolved now, but it's still a Snapdragon 821. It's still, you know, and there was always SD support. So the storage wasn't really a big issue for me on the, uh, on the G6 original, Mm -hmm. but I just want to squeeze it in there since we're talking about the G6 plus and we're talking about uh, headphone jacks and things. The OnePlus 5 has a headphone jack. Thank goddess. And they trolled right. us kind of in their in their announcement. They had like the render up on the screen where they were like, and we decided to remove the headphone jack because we have USB-C. And then it like flipped over and they put the little hole there. So wah, wah, they wah. know I it's a talking the, point. Uh, I miss the uh, actually like the, the broadcast because I, I just had other things to deal with. But I'll have to watch that. It, it was, um, I mean, that kind of speaks to, like you said, they know who their audience is that like they would not put up with removing the headphone jack but usually that's kind of the same group that wanted the SD card so it's it's really interesting but they've they've put down their foot and said we're we're not doing SD card because you know whatever it makes the experience a little more confusing or something but their their user base is the power user that wants the SD card right i mean they haven't had the SD card since what they had it on the first one Right. That's it, right? The second one dropped it, correct? I yeah, I think so. I need to check. Oh boy. Somebody I, correct us in the comments. I know or... I know that the OnePlus X dropped it and everything from that point forward didn't have it. Yeah, I think for me, um by the way, if you're hearing some construction in the background, there is some uh, workers in the apartment above me, so just don't don't worry about it. We'll filter it out. Um I think for me, it, it's uh, you know, it's a small price to pay to have a 1080p display, um, a no SD and no waterproofing for the price point that they're they're you know uh, selling at. Even though it's gone up a bit, mm-hmm. uh, it's four hundred eighty dollars for a six big six gig sixty four gigabyte uh, slate gray. Is that the color? Yeah. And then eight gigs, uh, one twenty gigabyte. Uh, for a midnight black color, I think that's what it's called. Yeah, and I think that's what, reasonable. I think that's a reasonable price jump. Absolutely, for what you're getting. I mean, you've got the the 
the eight gig version, right? Yeah, I do. Like I think me, that's yeah. what all the reviewers have. Yeah, that's interesting because I'm kind of wondering how much of a difference it makes. Frankly, I think it's overkill. Like, I don't think I ever, I ever ran out of RAM on... I don't run out of RAM on most four gigs phones. I don't think I ever run out of RAM on six gig phones. No, I, I mean, I used the OnePlus 3T for a long time and I never had any performance issues there. So it's really interesting. OnePlus is talking up, you know, smoothness and consistency and all that i mean obviously you get a lot of that just from the snapdragon 835 right i I, I looked at my average ram usage you know they give you a little display of it in the settings and i never got beyond five gigabytes so Uh, i never got beyond four so you see i think this is i think comes up how many apps you have running uh how many tabs you have open in, in in other words like in browser speak you know right um you're right, but but that's the thing though. Like the price has gone up, but it's justified to me simply because of that Snapdragon 835. That chip, man, like it is delightful. It is such the software a masterpiece. is fast. It it oh, is pretty fast. insane. But you know what I find, and you might correct me if you you think I'm wrong, but I feel from my experience that the U11 is faster. I I think they're neck and neck personally. And, it's close, right? And you know, I I could say that I think that. The scrolling performance is more consistent on the U11. Correct. That's what and, I think you know, I'm talking about. Just really tight to your finger. But the yeah. uh, the OnePlus 5 has improved dramatically there from the 3T. Like you set them side by side and you know, scroll up and down in a web page and it tracks to your finger a lot, lot tighter on the OnePlus 5. Definitely. I think there's a definitely a, a, a latency improvement uh, from last year, but the U11 still has way better latency. And yeah. and to me, it's it's... When I say it's not as smooth, it's sometimes the scrolling hangs up a bit on the OnePlus 5 still, whereas, you know, I, ex- I expect that not to be the case. The, the Galaxy S8 does the same thing, but the Galaxy yeah. S8 is really heavily loaded with animations and stuff. And I think I really feel, you know, I've reviewed all three of these phones, uh, the S8 and the U11 for ChipCheck and the OnePlus 5, I believe, Chance is reviewing for ChipCheck, so I'm doing it just for my YouTube channel here on the podcast. But my feeling is that the Galaxy S8 is kind of purposely well, uh, well, maybe not throttled, but balanced in terms of power to, like performance to battery life ratio, right? At least the regular S8. Because yeah. the S8 Plus has more battery to play with. But I feel that they've hit a good compromise in maximizing battery life yet not destroying the performance. But with the U11 and the OnePlus 5, you can really see what a, a, what an 835 can do. Yeah, they seem like they're just, you know, full on out there. They don't have as like kind of elongated um, uh, transition effects and things like that. Like they're just trying to be as snappy as possible. And again, for like the power user that knows what OnePlus is and wants a OnePlus 5, they want that to be as fast as possible. Just like you tap it and it, you know, it's wide open. They don't care about the extra transition effects. And I think that's where you draw the line between the Galaxy S8 and, you know, like the U11 and OnePlus 5. For sure, for sure. And then, you know, what what do you think of battery life? For, for me, I feel a battery life is slightly worse than the U11 which in itself is worse than the Galaxy S8. But that's my assessment, and it's really based only like five days of use. So I can't really say that I have a hard number. I didn't run any benchmarks. I would if I was doing this with ChipCheck, but I don't run benchmarks on my own reviews, really. Yeah, I I found the, the U11 actually be pretty good. Like the U11 was my bare minimum of acceptable. Like I could push it through a full day every single time, 
but it would do it with, you know, not a whole lot left behind. The Galaxy S8 was about the same, kind of depending on whether I used always on display or not. Like, that's a nice, you know, powered suck. But that the makes OnePlus, a big difference in the resolution as what, that you said. Of course. Well, and, right? I, and I run my Galaxy S8 in Quad HD uh, Plus or whatever they call it. Um, but the, the OnePlus 5, I feel, was a solid maybe hour a, a longer than the U11 and the Galaxy S8. Um, like the, not so much in screen on time, I could only get the same amount of like three to four hours of screen on time. But when I wasn't using it, it just idled forever. It didn't, you know, when the screen was off, it felt like it wasn't doing anything and it wasn't losing any battery. So some days where I was, you know, over the weekend, I was doing a lot of, uh, I was doing a lot of writing on my review. The phone was just off sitting on the table for two hours at a time. At the end of the day, I had like 65% battery left because I just didn't touch it and it wasn't doing anything. I felt like the Galaxy S8, it kind of is just, it's going to drain and be dead by the end of the day, no matter what. Yeah, I think you're right. Uh, But for me, I'm feeling that at least initially, and I, I, you know, stay tuned on the verdict for this over the next few weeks as I continue using the OnePlus 5, but I'm feeling it's a little below what I was experiencing with the Galaxy S8 and the U11, mm. but I don't know why. I mean, it could be my launcher. I'm using Google Now launcher. I'm not using their launcher. Who knows? But I mean, you're right. When it's resting, it's super awesome. And the Galaxy S8 has that problem with the always on screen, which I like to use because it is kind of a cool feature. Yeah. But at the same time... Too. Um, I'm, I'm running mine at 1080p, by the way, my S8, um, just because, you know, and this is the thing, like my eyes aren't that awesome. And <laughs> I feel that, um, it's, it, you know, it upscales 1080p automatically in hardware somewhere, but I don't find that I see much of a difference. I could be wrong because I, again, my eyes, but, uh, so that's why I'm not too vexed by 1080p displays, but it's true that that display on the Galaxy S8, oh my God. I mean, come on. Right. I yeah. mean, it's. It's the best of the best, so I mean, it's, it's hard to compare. It's completely next level just in everything that it does. I mean, I could take or leave the curves on the Galaxy S8, you know, whatever, but just the, the overall quality of it from every angle, every lighting condition is great. Yeah, it's, it's impressive. So now that we've kind of talked about the fact that it's justified, I think, in its price, especially at 480. Look, if you, unless you want the color Midnight Black, which I think is kind of a weird thing that they only made one device... Like each device has a different color, right? I think the uh, the bigger thing for me is the colors are so similar. So similar, I know, I know. If you don't see them side by side, you wouldn't know which one. So it's which. like why bother? Why bother with the I colors? Know. I don't know. So I would honestly pick the six gig, sixty four gig version, unless you feel that sixty four gig isn't enough and you don't have an SD card slot. So you have to keep that in mind. But I think um, so four hundred eighty dollars for the kind of performance and battery life and general flagshipness that you're getting other than the waterproofing and the 1080p display is a pretty awesome proposition but here's kind of the elephant in the room and i want to bring this up because you and i are kind of photography folk in the sense that we really love camera phones mm-hmm. and taking photos with them and for me it seems that oneplus is really positioning this device as a camera phone and i don't feel that it's good enough to match the best of the best yeah, I, I I agree. I think that the the issue is their I mean it starts with their positioning. I mean, it says dual cameras, clearer photos right on the side of the box. I mean, this is their marketing, this is what they're going for and it's it's not quite there. I mean, I think that they made smart improvements, right? F17 lens on the main camera is smart. 
new sensor is smart. Losing OIS in order to get this secondary oh camera God. out there, not don't very even smart. Don't get me started. I don't understand why they did that. They're going to. They have small pixels to start with, one point one two microns on the on the uh, main camera. So they drop they drop the f stop to one point seven, uh, which is great, right? Um, but then they don't they remove OIS, which is one of the things that I think kind of makes a phone these days. The pixel is the exception, but even then I find that I sometimes push the pixel to the point where I wish I had OIS, right? And then and if I push the Galaxy S8 or the U11 that far, uh, the OIS saves my ass. Yeah, I think the problem is, I mean, we're just just talking about the main camera first because that's you know what you can directly compare to others. Yeah, it just. Uh, for 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 the most part, it takes pretty good photos. I'd say better than the OnePlus Three Three T, like pretty solidly. But oh, it's definitely better than but, the, the last year's. Absolutely, I wanted you guys to know that this is a better camera overall, despite the lack of OIS. But right. I feel that they could have done better. I mean, I just look at. I mean, we were super skeptical at the start with the G6's main camera. We were like, "What's up with this older sensor? It has small pixels as well. Like, what are they doing with this?" But the G6 with OIS and some awesome, awesome processing takes really, really good photos out of the main camera. So you know that OnePlus could have done something like this, it, you know, with, you know, small pixels isn't the end of the world if they had OIS in there and they could, you know, do slightly longer shutter speeds, lower ISOs. I think the problem that I found was the OnePlus 5s kept with um, pretty quick shutter speeds because it knows it can't go very long. But the ISO got really high late at night, and they, their processing just couldn't smooth it out. So I found a lot of grain in photos. In oh, the, my God. In the it's main insane. Camera. I mean, watch my video. I know it's a long 30 minutes, but, guys, it's worth it. YouTube.com slash Miriam Joire, M-Y-R-A-M-J-O-I-R-E, which is my legal name. Um, go check it out because, look, it's – and I'll put it in the notes for this podcast. I think the problem is exactly what you said. The G6, and I think this is where LG's years and years of using the same 1.13 micron um, sensor technology, right, has made them develop algorithms that really kick ass. I mean, since the G4, they've been using this f of 1.8. No, is it 1.8? Yes, 1.8. You know, uh, 1.12 or 1.13 micron pixels, right? Uh, and they've developed these algorithms that just kick ass. And, yeah. and and then OnePlus just doesn't have that expertise. And it's like the same thing as a lot of people, you know, think that, yeah, you can put together a flagship phone with the supply chain in Shenzhen now. Of course, anybody can do that at a reasonable price, but it's the software, right? I mean, Qualcomm right. obviously has a lot of IP around imaging that, that I hope OnePlus leveraged to some extent, like um, HDR+, plus, well, there's, you know, Google has its own, but it's, I, I, don't, I think there's a feedback loop here. I think that what Google did with the Pixel, with A21, maybe Qualcomm was involved in in some ways and that some of that improved ISP software ended up in the 835 and you can yeah. benefit from that if you have an 835 and you pay the right licensing fees to Qualcomm. Now, whether OnePlus did or not, I honestly feel that they didn't because there isn't that... First of all, there's no HDR plus type mode like we see on the U11 or the yeah. Pixel, and secondly, as you said, the the graininess is 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 impossible. And then you know, let's talk about this two times zoom f yes. over two point six with even smaller one pixel one micron pixel camera because that one in low light, ugh, it's rough. 
Yeah, and it's not even directly 2x either, which kind of adds to it a little <laughs> bit. True. It's it's like 1.7x, so the effective um the effective focal length is about 40 millimeters, which I just don't feel like is a big enough jump from the main camera, which is, you know, like 24 millimeters. I don't feel like it's a big enough jump to justify the fact that in order to move to that lens, um, in anything but wide open bright sunlight, it's just not good enough. It's too grainy. Sure, you have 20 megapixels, you can zoom in a little bit, but the grain out of, you know, such a narrow aperture, I mean, when is the last time we saw a camera with an f2.6 uh, lens on a smartphone? It's It's been years. We're well beyond that. So, and, and especially when it's feeding into such small pixels. So it's kind of odd to see I mean, they're they're not really playing up the zoom all that much. And, you know, I, I like, I mean, I love the G6 for having that second wide angle camera that you can just switch to, get really interesting photos out of. I love so, it too. So I understand that. And I'm sure you've used the iPhone 7 Plus uh, a lot more than I have. Um, because, not that much, to be honest, actually. <laughs> well, that's definitely more than I have. I've just played around with it. But, you know, being able to just toggle between the two cameras is good, but the second camera, it's like, I can't shake the feeling that, you know, was this worth, you know, potentially compromising the main camera for? I I find that hard, you know, that's a hard sell for me. I agree. I mean, look, if you look at the G6, right, the secondary camera, um, let's see, I'm, I'm looking at my review right now to find out what was the f-stop on that secondary camera. It is f2.4. Yeah, and so that's about the worst we see, right? But that's that's still the same sensor and pixel size as the main camera as well, so that helps. And the G5 and V20 had a smaller number of megapixels with slightly, well, I think the same size pixels, but they had f2.4 as well. Or was it 2.2? Ugh. I think it's 2.4, but... But anyway, the point is that's about as bad as it gets, right? In the world of smartphones. 2.6 is like, oh my God, really? You know, for a long time, lots of phones had f over 2.8. That was kind of the standard. Mm -hmm. Uh, It's kind of a long time ago, though. And so, you know, I feel the same way. I do feel that there is enough of a zoom at 1.7 to make it worth my while from time to time. But given the choice, as you said, I think I'd prefer the G6 wide angles lens as my second lens than a zoom lens. And I think Be- above both, I would prefer to just let's go all out on the main right. 16 let's megapixel get, let's camera. Let's get us bigger pixels on the NYS on that main camera. I agree 100%. Yeah. It's, that's the biggest thing because, you know, the G6 has OIS on the main camera, at least, even though the pixels aren't that big. And they have really good processing algorithms. So, yeah, I don't know. It's And the results speak for themselves. In good light, this camera is brilliant. And in low light, it just starts falling apart. I've, it, like, exponentially gets worse, right? Yeah. Um. And, you know, again, no OIS means you can't take long exposures easily without a tripod. There's a whole bunch of issues. And don't even get me started on the portrait mode. It is so useless Hmm. on this phone. It is so poorly implemented. The quality of that portrait mode needs a lot of love. And we know this is hard to pull off. Apple did it as a beta for a while. Then they made it public until they felt it was right. Huawei took multiple generations, too. To finally get to a point. They're pretty good, though, I have to say right now. Right. Um. So the the, is, the issue with that portrait mode to explain further is that it doesn't necessarily properly figure out where that focal plane should be to actively blur the background. So you get like foreground portions that are, 
you know, selectively blurred. And obviously when your eye looks at that, it goes, what? That's not supposed to be out of focus. Yeah. And so if you look at my video, I did a comparison by taking a still subject. I couldn't have a person repeat the same pose twice. Uh, I used a can of, of Yerba Mate and I put it in bright light and um, I took a photo with portrait mode and a photo with macro mode with the main camera. Like I did, there's no macro mode, but it obviously was close up enough that it was essentially a macro shot. So it means that the background's going to be really defocused, right? Because, because F1.7 does that. Mm-hmm. And guess what? I, honestly, other than the better geometry of the of the portrait shot, because it combines the two images and there's not as much this geometric distortion because you're not as close, so you don't have that fisheye effect as much. Other than that, there was really not much of an improvement to bokeh in the background, A. And B, um, there was so much more detail in the main cam photo on the actual can itself yeah. versus versus the the portrait shot that kind of blurred everything in a weird kind of mushy way for me. Now I completely agree. When it comes when it comes to macro shots, the main camera is way, way better. I mean F one seven can, you know, give you that background blur by default just by getting in close and using tap to focus. Absolutely. And so so that's, you know, just look, the, we're not trying to say that you shouldn't buy a OnePlus 5. I certainly think it's one of the best flagships for the money. And you s- certainly should not feel like the OnePlus 5 camera is going to let you down. Overall, it's pretty solid. It's better than the 3T, but it's not to the level of what you get with a U11, G6, Pixel, GSA. And, and that's just the reality of it. If you're willing to live with that, you will not feel let down by the OnePlus 5. And so the only time this rears its ugly head is in low light. And portrait mode is a gimmick. It might get better as software improves. Um, the zoom can be helpful, like it is for the Huawei phones and the, and the iPhone 7 Plus. And that's kind of the takeaway for me for the camera, really. Yeah, I have a uh, I have a compar- camera comparison against the Galaxy S8 going up on Android Central uh, early tomorrow morning, but I can spoil So that it. would be yesterday oh, I guess in case you... Yesterday okay. when you're listening to this. I fixed it for you. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll already be up, but I mean, my basic conclusion is the same thing. Uh, when you just look at the OnePlus 5's photos straight out of the camera, not comparing to anything else, you're pretty happy with them. They're They're really, you know, solid photos. They tend to be balanced with just a little bit of color and but it's just when you set it next to the galaxy s8 which i would say is even maybe a small step below the pixel g6 u11 in some cases but you know the gs8 obviously is kind of the standard that everybody you know are you below or above the gs8 kind of thing well i think Um, a lot of people are going to have that phone so it's a good it's a good like you know uh measure measuring stick right so so when you set it next to the gs8 you're like well it's just the gs8 just has a little more crispness you know sharper edges especially when you zoom in you notice these things and then at at night you notice wow the gs8 can take a brighter photo without cranking up the iso you know what i mean so and then you take a photo of the same thing with the u11 and it's again twice as bright right so it's kind of one of those things where you know like you said, the OnePlus 5, it's not giving you bad photos. You just don't notice uh, some of the intricacies of what it's incapable of doing until you set it next to one of these higher-end phones that has larger pix- larger pixels with the same aperture and OIS and obviously years more experience doing the processing. And probably royalties paid to Qualcomm for their ISP Oh, absolutely. Software. 
which again, you know, I could be wrong. Please, Eric, uh, email me if I'm incorrect and you're listening to this podcast about um, the Qualcomm royalties. Uh, you might not be able to reveal this, but I'd be really curious to know how much of Qualcomm software you're using for this uh, for this phone this time around, because I really believe that uh, what Qualcomm's offers out of the box in terms of image processing on the 835 is top notch. Um, probably for the first time. I mean, they've always been good, but this is at the realm of great now. But we know it takes, uh, you know, it takes lots of fine tuning. I mean, we talk about the portrait mode um, needing lots of work, obviously, in terms of it takes thousands and thousands of photos and analyzing how things work. But even the main camera, like this is not a, it's not a solved science where you can say, apply these exact processing um, features to every photo and it'll be fine. The, you know, we know from what Google does with HDR plus that there's way more variables involved in getting a good photo out of a main camera. Yeah. I think, uh, also, you know, every combination of hardware and software is going to be slightly different, right? So there's no kind of cure all solution, but usually using a set of algorithms that has been developed by a chipset manufacturer, um, you know, can help if you don't have that in-house expertise. In the case of LG and Samsung, they have that in-house expertise. Um, and, and I think Google does too now, uh, as they very clearly demonstrated with the, uh, the Pixel XL and Pixel. Um, but yeah, look, I think, I think I'm excited about this phone, even though it does look a little bit like an iPhone, doesn't it? Sure. Uh, <laughs> I mean, they're not going to be able to shake that. It's kind of... I think that's along the same lines as this dual camera marketing. Uh, they set themselves up for for that comparison by going going with this hardware design in the same way that they set themselves up with really high expectations on the camera. Yeah, you know, I think that the the other thing for me is is that you have this this design that that is kind of how do you how do you do a phone with dual camera if you don't want to use up the middle of the phone? where their battery and other things are going to live, right? I mean, there's, it, you know... The, the G6 isn't exactly svelte in order to do its dual camera. Right. And I mean, if you look, the, the alternative is the P10, basically, and P9, right? And, and that is just like having a glass bar at the top instead. Like, I, I don't know. I don't think there's a, a solution. The other thing I want to point out, and I point this out in my review, and Andrew, correct me if, if you disagree, but I think... Um, if you hold the phone, it feels great in hand. It's it's really beautifully made, um, and it has these kind of um, tapered edges on left and right that an iPhone doesn't have. And and even though it on photos it really kind of has a very strong similarity to the iPhone Seven Plus. Once you see it in person, it f- looks and feels, especially from the front, like a One Plus device to me. There is uh, that kind of slightly rounded top and bottom, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, curve on on the actual what looks like a straight line is actually round a little bit, and to me those are kind of trademarks of what a OnePlus phone looks and feels like. But it doesn't have that strong personality the OnePlus three and OnePlus three T had, which really marked it as this is a OnePlus device. This is more like generic generic, you know, kind of blob of a phone, right? Yeah, I mean the way I wrote it in my review was think about generic, you know, quote unquote smartphone shape and. This is that. I mean, you, you, like you said, you feel more of the changes than you see. Um, the, the taper on the sides is definitely better than the recent iPhones. I think it's more ergonomic to the hand, the way that it has a flat edge and then it transitions nicely rather than kind of just doing that 
swooping, you know, even corner that the iPhone does to a straight flat back. I think it's a little bit nicer to hold than the OnePlus 3T as well. Even though they're the same dimensions, basically, the OnePlus 5 is just a little thinner, but I think it's just the way that it's all rounded um, feels a lot nicer. And sure, I, they're just they're just never going to be able to shake that that iPhone lookalike type of thing, but I'm not sure how much that's really going to influence many people's uh, buying decisions. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, do you want to move on to the next phone, or do you think you're done? Um, I just think that I, I don't want people to get the wrong uh, the wrong overall thought on this from the way we talked about the camera. I think that the interesting thing about it is, even though it's cheaper than these other phones, it does so many things as good or better than the other devices in terms of all the specs you get the you know the fingerprint sensor is uh, on the front where it you know where you can actually reach it and use it every single time cough cough samsung and <laughs> it it doesn't do anything it doesn't try to do too much in the hardware and fail i think that you know we've seen other phones that that have done that you know i've done this and it's at the same time the software is brilliant and the performance is fantastic which like we were saying, isn't necessarily the case everywhere you go as well. So even though it may be a little behind in the camera, that doesn't mean that it's not ahead in other areas. And then it's, you know, 200 bucks cheaper than a Galaxy S8. And what other phone has eight gigs of RAM? I mean, there's a, I think there's another <laughs> right. at least. Bragging it's, rights. it's a Chinese phone or something that we can't get. Um, another one last thing I want to mention before we move to the next phone. And we can, and I'm sure we'll mention the OnePlus 5 many more times when we talk about the next phone, but is that the Oppo R11 is obviously they're using the same sensors and lenses as the Oppo R11, which is the com- a company that's also owned by the parent company of OnePlus. So there are certainly some economies of scales in terms of supply chain by going that route. Mm-hmm. Now, the Oppo R11 only has a Snapdragon 660, but... Uh, it's really interesting to me how close those two industrial designs are. I mean, it's they're they're identical. I mean, well, the, the flash <laughs> is a little bit identical. more to the right on the OnePlus, so it's clearly not the same machine, like the machine programming on on um, carving out that that piece of unibody, but it is close, and it's kind of, you know, it's hard to not notice if you're like us reviewing phones and in the mobile tech business, like. Oh, that, you know, sure, it looks like the iPhone 7 Plus, but oh my God, the R11 is really what it looks sure. like, right? But most people, out, you know, people outside of China are going to go, oh, what's, what's an Oppo R11? What's Oppo? Oh, yeah, exactly. So you'll be fine. So that's, I guess, you know, and honestly, if they can bring us a phone for $480 because of that, kudos to them. I'm not right. going to knock them for it. Um, HTC U11. You guys probably saw my review went live last week. Uh, I think shortly before or after the last podcast I did. I just want to point that out. Go to chipchick.com, chip like a computer chip and chick like a small chicken.com and check out my U11 review there. Lots of photo samples. Um, it's a bit old now because the OnePlus 5 is the new kid on the block. But what do you think, Andrew, of the U11? For me, the biggest disappointment is the lack of headphone jack, and I could go on and on about that. But for you, what what's what's your takeaway? Yeah, I, I second the headphone jack situation, especially because this is not a small phone. I mean, it's not U Ultra size, but it's definitely not thin, Tiny. svelte, anything like that. It's um, a lot heavier and bigger feeling in hand 
than the OnePlus 5, by the way. Yeah, absolutely. Even though their you know, rough dimensions similar. are similar, but it's just like the heft of the U11 is definitely there. And you know, you expect that from an HTC phone. But overall, I'm, I'm super happy with it. It's the first phone from HTC I've in probably three years that I'm like, oh yeah, this directly competes with everything else around it. And I even say that, you know, a month, a month on. Um, and you know, it's, it's crazy. It feels like it's the old thing, but it's just went on, you know, it's only been on sale for a couple weeks in the U S but since last Monday. Oh, is it only, is it only, uh, just over a week? Yeah. It's been less, actually, actually less than a week. I think it was midweek last week. I I just, it's sometime recently, very recently, which, yeah. So I have a Taiwanese model still, um, which I've been continuing to use the U11 despite, you know, not having all the proper LTE bands and things like that uh, hasn't affected battery life. I think battery life has been, like I said, you know, good enough there. But um, I'm just glad that they've, you know, done something that altogether competes with, um, with you know, the Galaxy S8, G6, uh, even the Pixel in terms of its software performance. For sure. I mean, I think it's a beautiful phone too. Um, you know, from it's the a back fingerprint. Anyway. Yeah, it's a f- yeah from the back. From the front, it's kind of like the OnePlus Five, very generic. But from the back, it's it's also a fingerprint magnet, so you're gonna have to wipe it down. I actually used the supplied case that uh, translucent case that came with it, uh, which is already scratched to death. Um, yeah, that thing is. I've got oof. it on there right now, and it it uh, got destroyed. It looks like it you know went through a street sweeper i know but at the same time you know that phone is so shiny that i don't see how else i can have it bear would be nasty looking after just a few hours um i think hcc nailed it other than the headphone jack and i think that the you know the hcc 10 last year i think was definitely a step in the right direction but it just didn't quite live up to what they kind of set out for themselves. And this year, obviously, you know, they're not having uh, partnered with AT&T, T-Mobile, and Verizon is a bit uh, tricky. Yeah. Especially since if you buy the U11 unlocked on Verizon, it does not have CDMA support, which is the first phone that I know of that you can buy that's unlocked, that has no CDMA radio for 2G, 3G, and legacy uh, text and voice support. Now, that's not a huge deal. Most markets have L voice over LTE now and everything. But if you are a Verizon customer and you live or travel in parts of the U.S. that are still very rural, you will have issues with the U11 where you won't, for example, with the Nexus or Pixel phones. Right. I think that uh, that's you, one thing. Like You know if you're someone that drops to 3G. Right. And you will... Also t- interesting to note, I have the Sprint version of the U11, not the Taiwanese version, and that phone has CDMA support for Sprint. Yeah. So obviously the CDMA radio exists in the unlock unit, is just disabled somehow. Um, because the Snapdragon 835 has a built-in you know, CAT16 LTE and, and all the good radios all in one. So it's really interesting the choices that HTC made. I'm not sure if they weren't able to get carrier support or they chose not to pursue carrier support beyond Sprint. But um, I would say more the former. <laughs> probably because they didn't perform that well with the 10 last year in terms of sales. And I'm on, honestly not sure they will perform that well this year with the, 11, the U11 in terms of sale. Sadly, but at the same time, you know, what really, I keep using the phone and I keep getting impressed. Performance is really strong. Battery life is great. 
and the camera is really, really good. It's not as fast overall, like starting up the camera shutter speed, um, like, you know, uh, mashing the camera button sort of thing as the Galaxy S8 or the Pixel, but it's close. And the pictures in many, especially in low light, I think in some times, in some ways, excel beyond what the Galaxy S8 and the Pixel can do. Yeah, they're absolutely nailing it. I I was super surprised having not spent I mean, I know that the HTC 10, the camera was pretty good, but you know, this is a nice step up from that, but it's also, I mean, spec-wise, they made the right decisions finally. They got this nice middle ground where they say, you know, 12 megapixels good enough, you know, yeah. resolution-wise, but we did 1.4 micron pixels. We kept OIS f17 like it's got all of those baselines. But like we just got done discussing, the processing has to be there too. And I feel like it, it's really, really good across, I mean, daylight, low light. I compared it to the, when I first um, reviewed it, compared it to the G6, the Pixel, you know, it can handle, you know, those situations very similarly to both those phones. Yeah, it's very impressive. The camera keeps delighting me. I've posted a whole bunch of photos on my Twitter uh, at Tankerl without the vowels, TNKGRL. I know you guys should know this by now, but. Um, you know, check it out because it's really impressive. And I will be posting my OnePlus 5 pictures today. I probably on Google Plus, all of them, so that a lot of people are asking to see the originals. It's kind of tough because I often edit my photos with uh, the, the Google Photo app. So mm-hmm. um, you're not going to get all of them to be raw, pure, like, I don't mean raw in terms of format. I mean, like, non-modified some of them are going to be cropped and edited just because i like to be creative and i really believe that developing your photos is a part of the process i used to be a bit hardcore about just getting the photos out of the phone straight up with the no edits and now i'm finding that software editing photo editing has gotten so good and lets me do so much stuff so easily on phones that it's hard to ignore and i find that it's part of my creative process now for taking photos yeah, I'm the same way. I, I wrote up something on Android Central after we took a two-week vacation in Europe where I took 95% of my photos with the G6. And you know, I shared a whole bunch of the photos and said, like, look at all of these photos. But yes, I edited I edited them in, in Google Photos and a couple of them I even edited in Lightroom later on. But, you know, I crop and a lot of the times it's just a small crop or a level out of the horizon or something and hit that auto um, auto enhance button in Google the Photos. Auto enhance is magical it, on that. It app. does a fantastic job. And you know, I'm I'm I don't have any problem with doing any edits in Google Photos before I share them out. And the nice thing is all those edits are synced across uh, anywhere I view on Google Photos as well. So it's right. not like Lightroom where I feel I have to, you know import and then I export and I have to keep the original and the edited version somewhere else. I just, you know, I let it live in Google Photos and I don't mind doing a couple of tweaks. Yeah, I feel the same way. And so I'm just warning you right now that I will, uh, some of the photos will not be the actual output of the camera without processing and some will. Uh, Just, you know, it doesn't mean you can't judge the photos because, you know, obviously I'm not using the... uh, the uh, photos app as a crutch i'm more using it for my creative process and i want to make that clear um but the u11 i don't have to do quite as much of that it seems and so that's good news um i love the performance i feel that it's really low latency we talked about that before um i love uh the fact that the software is pretty stock even on the sprint model get this andrew really the sprint model has like had three apps pre-installed 
None of the Amazon apps were on there, you know, that are normally an HTC staple. And Sprint Zone installing a bunch well, of crap. Well, Sprint Zone was there, but you could remove it, which oh. was like, oh, wow. You know, like they really did a good job. It's very lightweight in terms of bloatware and crapware. And it does support Gigabit LTE on Sprint's network, mm-hmm. which I don't have access to here in San Francisco. But now if you're in New Orleans, um, you can get a Gigabit LTE on the, on the U11, so on Sprint. So, you know. If you are that one Sprint customer in the universe, <laughs> knock yourself out. I know that was mean. I'm sorry. I'm not a big fan of Sprint's network. No, I'm I, sure I'm it's not getting either. better, but uh, as a T-Mobile person myself, oof. Well, so I know. had an interesting experience with it because I used the HTC Bolts uh, late last year, which was... Oh my was, God, I did too. It ended up being a nice... It, it was a precursor of a lot of things that they were trying to do that ended up making it into the U11 in a lot better form. Um, right. You know, it... it showed us the way with the waterproofing and the lack of a headphone jack all that but um i, I mean around seattle and with where processor I am, that was a year old but. yeah that that <laughs> was nailed uh, that nailed it um but i mean around seattle where i am uh, sprint has improved pretty dramatically but yeah, it's still here. like last night i was ranting a, a, about how at&t is just still pretty rough up here and but everywhere in the city that i go i run a speed test on t-mobile and it's like 40 down 40 up every single time and every single phone and i don't have to be tied to having a sprint specific phone to get it i know it's kind of cool and that's the thing about the sprint phones is even swapping the sim doesn't work you need to activate on their website Ugh. Which should segue us into another topic very quickly. I don't want to completely abandon the U11, but I just want to, since, you know, this is a perfect segue. eSIM. <laughs> so I just want to call out Sherilyn Lowe at Engadget. I, I love her dearly. She's one of my favorite reviewers and one of my favorite Engadget editors. But Sherilyn, you're completely wrong about eSIM taking over the world that, that well, you're not wrong about that. But you're wrong about why it should, and I don't think it's a good thing. eSIM, in case you don't know, is an electronic electronic SIM card. What it means is that, uh, and the Snapdragon 835 supports it, it means that the SIM card, instead of being a piece of plastic, um, and this is optional, like you can obviously still have a physical SIM card on your device, but the manufacturers now have the option of the Snapdragon 835 to have a... um, electronic SIM card, which is basically a SIM card that lives inside the radio and software. And the way you provision that, you you, you 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 do it via software, obviously. So for example, what it means is you buy a phone that doesn't have a SIM card slot anymore, or maybe it does, but you don't have to use it. Uh, like we've seen way, on the, some smartwatches. By, and as we've seen on the iPad, by the way. Oh yeah. Uh-huh. Um, the iPad has eSIM. So um, what it what it means is you you call your carrier or you go online to your carrier and you can basically say you know here's my you do it with the device the actual device that you're using and you say this is the device I want on this network and it just creates a SIM card in software and puts it on there and then you're good to go and then you can obviously move that virtual SIM card from device to device. The problem is that. And this is one of the things that Sherilyn did not mention and talk about in her review, in her in her story, is that she she looks at it as, you know, SIM cards are old and obsolete and take up space in phones and like in, and we don't really need them anymore. But yes, we do because you of all people, Sherilyn, should know this. You're changing phones all the time. I don't yeah. want to have to go into software and necessarily be online to swap SIMs. Like right now, I can do it in an airplane, right? Just yeah. before it lands, I swap my SIM. I land, it works, right? And I travel a lot, so this happens. I have SIMs for several countries where I go regularly. And 
with your setup, I'd have to be online, probably on Wi-Fi, because, well, guess what? If I don't have T-Mobile and sure. I'm abroad, I can't connect to data, so I need to find Wi-Fi at the airport. Then I need to log into my carrier's portal. Uh, the, the the foreign carriers portal and say hey I want I want my my SIM provision on this phone and and so, what if you don't know about the carrier that you want to switch to I mean yeah. I land in a lot of places uh, you know we're going to trade shows or events and you know I'm just picking up a SIM in the airport the first kiosk that I see and I'm just you know whatever they want to give me I I don't know how to log in and go in and and switch around all those things there's something great about this sim card being a key and, and, that and you was know the that it fits point of sim cards they knew back then that eventually they could do this in software in fact cdma was doing it in software it's always had e-sims essentially because you have like a, a uid or whatever it's called uh uiud i think uh uudid uh, unique, U- U- unique U- device D- identifier. Thank you. unique device identifier right that's what mm-hmm. it is and so they've done it like this forever in fact when you switch phones with sprint in addition to switching your SIM card, you actually have to log into Sprint's website. It's just cumbersome. Imagine you're in China, you don't speak Chinese, you go to a little 7-Eleven, they don't speak English, and you want a SIM card. Well, if you had to do this with eSIM, oh my God, like you'd be lost. You'd have to explain to them that you need to provision it. Their website might not support English. There you just point at the SIM card with the number of minutes and gigabytes you want. You put your cash down, you walk away. There's also a level of anonymity here, right? You In some countries, you need a passport mm-hmm. to buy a SIM card, but in most places like Hong Kong, you just pay cash and you're done. And look, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm trying to evade some sort of legal thing here by by using cash to pay, but but I like the idea of the, the freedom and the privacy of buying a SIM card without somebody tracking that I did. Most of the time, I use a credit card anyway because I'm not paranoid, mm-hmm. but... But I could pay cash, and this is another thing. Like to me, removing the SIM slot from phones is gonna happen, whether we like it or not, because the carriers it's beneficial for them. But at the same time, it's honestly gonna be a form of lock-in because nobody's gonna be able to understand and figure out how to do it. Um, but those of us who know what to do will be okay. Still, it's not as convenient as just swapping a tiny little finger fingernail-sized piece of plastic. Call me old-fashioned. Get off my freaking lawn, you kids. Uh, no, I don't think you're off base in any way. I The biggest thing is I understand that eSIM works. And like you said, I, I had totally forgotten about the iPad doing it. But, you know, smartwatches, it makes sense for something like that. It's smaller. You're not going to SIM swap your watch. It's not no. a, uh, like I said, a, like a required piece of technology. You have to have the minute that you land. Like, I need a 3G connection on my watch. But on your phone, it's it's something different. And the big thing is, I understand that eSIM works, but it's not that the, the current SIM system also works. And it works really well and has a lot of general benefits in terms of being able to ch- you know choose your carrier and not have to worry about it. Obviously, we take it to heart more because we travel a lot more and don't necessarily want to use roaming all the time. I, I understand that if you're this, the person that walks into Verizon, you don't even probably know what a sim card is you probably don't even know your phone has a sim card exactly especially if you're on verizon because over, over you know previous so, years you didn't and have so that's one. my point then then sherilyn's argument is all moot because we don't even they don't even know what a sim card is so what they do didn't they need care it in the first e-SIM? place yeah exactly. i mean if they want to go to a carrier and the carriers you know all they do when they go in and say oh i want a new phone is they just take your sim card out and put it in the other one like they handle it for you that's already you know it's built into the system it's not like it's hugely 
cumbersome to be able to, like you said, walk into the the Seven Eleven in Hong Kong or the kiosk in uh, you know Berlin Tegel Airport or anything and just get a SIM card. It's like that's not a burden. It's it's not an issue. That's not like people are getting ripped off. Nobody's getting upsold. It provides tons of competition, as you know. When you go to any of these countries in Europe, you go to look at SIM cards. It's like you could choose whatever carrier you want, and they're all sitting right next to each other, and you can see all the prices side by side. You don't have to go navigate to a bunch of different websites, which by the way, you don't have an internet connection to do um, <laughs> exactly. to, to price compare at the time. And so the consumer ends up getting screwed because it, you know, they go to the first carrier that's going to offer them, you know, you know, a page in Something. English maybe and provision yeah. their phone. I know that's exactly my point. Thanks for saying that. And, you know, yes, those of us on T-Mobile still use roaming. I mean, I, I love it. I use it all the time when I'm in project but, five for me. Right. Because I have uh, multiple phones. I like to at least have one of my other phones use a local SIM just for performance issues and uh, to have a local number sometimes. Uh, and also with dual SIM phones, like the one plus five, I can keep my Timo SIM in there and add a Taiwanese SIM for the time in Taiwan and set the data to the Taiwanese SIM and boom, now I've got, you know, like super fast LTE. Um, I mean, I was in Taiwan for Computex in Taipei, and it cost me something like twenty U.S. dollars for five uh, for unlimited data for ten days. Right. It was five, it, probably a bit more than probably like twenty-two dollars. It was five hundred new Taiwan dollars, and this is a tourist sim they call it. Basically, you can't renew it, mm-hmm. but it's valid for ten days, unlimited data. I went so crazy on that sim. <laughs> oh my god, it was so good. Uh, and that's cheap, right? Like, I mean, you know, I, I, and it was so convenient. I just walked to the store that was just down the street and just picked it up and I was yeah. done. So, yeah, I don't know about eSIM. I'm not a fan. And I think that, um, you know, maybe Sherilyn's article was kind of more like the devil's advocate. But I feel that I should call her out on the fact that she doesn't see the fact that this is a really important thing for a lot of us. And we're tech nerds, and a lot of people reading gadget are tech nerds. So and I think that, I but I just feel like the bigger thing is that it's the current system is not broken. Uh, yes, it requires a little bit of space in the phone, but you know, as we've gotten down to nano sims, it's gotten smaller and smaller. I I get that aspect of it, but that's not something that's worth throwing out all of the other benefits of physical sim cards. And in general, I mean, not to take it down to the super low level, but it completely disadvantages people who, like I said, can't cross. Um, they can't cross shop between sims or switch between sims. I talked to. Uh, we have a writer Harish who lives in India, and they have massive um, areas of the country that are covered by one carrier and not the other, and you know, vice versa. As you go through these the different districts, and you know you want to have a dual sim phone that you can swap between sim cards on the fly you know not you know you may carry two or three and you swap them out depending on you know where you're visiting your family or where you are and that's just not a seamless experience if you have to go through the e-sim route and it's just it, it just seems like it's a, a solution in search of you know you know fixing something that's not not broken yeah I mean, I'm not against it for my primary, my, my, my like having my primary carrier uh, as an eSIM because I rarely take that SIM out of my phone anyway. Um, but still want a slot in the device, at least for a second SIM that's physical or dual SIMs that, that are physical is what I want. 
If a phone only had eSIM and not a SIM tray, I wouldn't be very happy with it. To me, it'd be like the headphone jack issue. Sure. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we talked about this very briefly, um, but this headphone jack issue, it's not so much a lack of headphone jack that's annoying me, even though it requires an adapter and it, require, it, it makes it difficult for you to charge while using the phone. All of that is definitely a problem. For me, it's a sound quality issue. Uh, particularly on the U11 and the HTC phones, because mm. I explained this in my review of the U11 on ChipChick. The biggest problem with USB-C audio, as we know it today, is that there are two standards. There's an analog standard and a digital standard. Now, the analog standard is basically something Intel implemented, and uh, one uh, Le Eco is using it on the Le Pro 3 and previously the Le Pro 2. Uh, Moto uses it on the Z and Z Force. It's basically, there's a DAC and an amp inside the phone. There's just no headphone jack. And so you plug this $2 dongle, which is just a piece of wire, into the USB-C port, and there's some resistors in there, and it says, hey, I'm an analog audio adapter. And the phone goes, oh, I recognize that. I, I'm equipped to handle that. And it switches the USB port to that format. And mm -hmm. analog audio comes out of the pins, into the headphone adapter, and you can listen to music. And so the sound quality is then dependent on the quality of the DAC and the quality of the headphone amp inside the phone, which, as you can imagine, are usually a packaged part of the SOC, part of the chipset, mm -hmm. generally made by Qualcomm these days, and it will sound pretty decent no matter what, right? Yeah, Then absolutely. the other side is what HTC is doing, where they don't have a DAC, and a headphone amp. It's they completely non-standard. Yeah, they have a cheaper DAC and a, a special amp for their speakers so that they can drive the speakers, the, the boom sound setup. And then they have uh, basically a digital interface for USB-C audio, meaning that you can plug any standard USB sound card, as it were, to the USB-C port and you'll get audio out. It'll detect it and you'll get audio out. That little dongle that ships finally ships with the U11 because it's the first headphone jackless phone that they've shipped with an actual adapter. That is the reason they didn't ship the other ones with adapters is because that's an expensive adapter compared to the pass-through analog ones. Mm -hmm. It has an, a DAC and a headphone amp in it and it costs $19 on their website, but it's, it's cheap because the quality of the sound coming out of it is really cheap because the DAC and amp are really cheap. And so you plug that thing in and you get, sure, you get audio out of that, that, that adapter, but it sounds like crap compared to even the cheapest Snapdragon chipset out there. And, and so we've gone from the, U, the, the HTC 10 who had super high quality DAC and headphone amp built in to this, this completely you know, disgusting sounding adapter that's in the box. And so the only way around that is to buy something like the FIO, F-I-I-O uh, K1, for example, which is a uh, pack of gum, well, smaller than that, half a pack of gum size um, USB headphone amp mm -hmm. that doesn't have a battery in it. It's powered by the, the USB port. So you, you plug that in and now you're getting some really high quality audio out. The problem is that that's $39, right? And sure. plus you need a USB Type-C to micro USB cable to make uh. it work, which if unless you want to play with dongles, uh, which is uh, which is another six bucks on Amazon. So you're talking about a $45 to $50 solution that now brings you back to the level of sound quality of, a, of an HTC 10 or a V20. Um, 
And that's something that HTC just threw out the window with the excuse of we're all in on USB Type-C and we're all in on these USonic headphones that, by the way, sound like crap. Uh, even tuned, in my opinion, they're not even remotely as good as what I'm used to listening to. So, so that's my beef with the headphone jack on HTC's implementation. It's a digital interface. It's actually a standard interface. Uh, if you take their shitty uh, $19 dongle, Andrew, and you plug it into a Pixel, it'll work. Oh, really? Because yeah, the, stand- the inbox headphones USB. don't work. Oh, no, no, but they don't because they require special firmware on the right. phone's end. Because the noise reduction and the, um, what's it called, the uh, the tuning stuff, mm-hmm. they have built-in mics, so they don't appear as a standard USB device. Right, They're yeah, a proprietary yeah. USB device. But their dongle is a standard USB device. It'll work on any phone that has USB Type-C. Try it. It'll just work. Interesting. Just but in case sounds- I need two headphone jacks on my Pixel. Correct. But of course, it sounds bad. So don't worry about it. So that's my beef. And that's what I want to explain. Um, yeah, I'm I'm it. with you on on most of it. I'm not as big of an audio purist. I mean, for the most part, I listen over Bluetooth. It's for me, it's just a frustration of every once in a while, you know, I want to plug into, you know, I s- sit in a friend's car and I want to plug yeah, exactly. into their their audio you know, their, their system, like, oh, I have a podcast I want to listen to. Can't do it because I'm just not going to walk around with that dongle. Um, yeah. And yes, their, their headphones in the box are, they're in-box headphones, but they do active noise cancellation. Like, I get that part, but I don't, I mean, this is, again, a thing because I switch phones a lot, as you do. I, I'm not going to remember to switch those headphones in my bag when, you know, I always keep a pair of wired earbuds in my bag as a backup just in case, you know, my batteries die or, you know, whatever I need to need backup headphones that'll just work. Again, I'm not going to keep the dongle around. I'm not going to keep those headphones around. So it's just a frustration thing for me. I get all of the audio quality points. The big thing is for me that they're not providing much to make up for the fact that I'm going to be frustrated very often by not having the headphone jack there. Yeah. And you know, the other thing is if you look at their market share right now and how well they're doing in the US, this is a very user hostile move that of all people, they shouldn't be able to get away with doing. Yeah. It's it's right? very odd. I mean, it was extra odd on the uh, U Ultra, which was just a massive phone. Oh that God, yeah. For some reason, still didn't have the the room for a headphone jack. Again, it's kind of like the it's kind of <laughs> like the sim thing. Like we know it takes up room, but that doesn't mean that you should just get rid of it because it takes up room. Like other things in the phone take up room too. You know, all of these other things. Like it's all trade offs. I don't care. Like make the trade off inside. Make it work. The you know the one plus five offers a larger battery and a slimmer profile and still has, you know, a speaker out the bottom and a USB-C port right next to the headphone jack. Exactly. So you have no excuses, HTC. Yeah. Um, mostly because you're not Samsung. If Samsung had not put a headphone jack on their phones, we would have been really pissed off, but we would have been like, okay, they can totally get away yeah. with doing that. I mean, look what, they, did, <laughs> look what they do with the, the fingerprint leader. sensor too. I mean, they, they could have done that. You know, they get away I with know. it. But they didn't because they're not user hostile. Hint, hint, hint. <laughs> anyway, uh, speaking of audio, I just want to quickly remind you, in case you missed the news, um, I didn't write about it anywhere. I am tweeted about it, I think. But Qualcomm came out with some new audio chipsets this week. And the reason I'm bringing this up is because this is kind of part of this discussion. They have uh, really high-quality uh, Bluetooth head, uh, chipsets 
Um, and this is one of my beefs right now. The reason I don't use wireless earphones and headphones and earbuds is because I find the sound quality is not good enough. My minimum standard is OptX HD, which, mm -hmm. as you know, is a lossless, super high quality codec for Bluetooth audio transmission. It requires Bluetooth 4 and up, but um, they have a new chipset that makes it really affordable and really simple to implement a Bluetooth set of earbuds or headphones or dongle uh, that's wireless that has power management, supports, you know, uh, charging the battery and all that, has really good quality DAC and really good quality headphone amp and supports Aptex HD all in one super cheap chip. That's one chip they launched. They launched a similar chip for Bluetooth speakers uh, and a similar chip for Bluetooth, uh, sorry, USB type C headphones. Um, so basically, you know, basically it's just a minor announcement, but it was uh, a minor announcement that I think is going to impact the price point and the quality of wireless earbuds and headphones and speakers and even USB-C based headphones and earbuds going forward in the sense that, you know, right now it's much cheaper to make a quality analog thing because the analog part is, you know, it being in the supply chain forever, right? It's just cable and a plug. Mm -hmm. um, whereas right now, if you're making a, if you're trying to hit the twenty dollar price point, you want to make Bluetooth headphones. You're gonna sacrifice the sound quality of the drivers of the actual little speakers inside the earbuds and headphones because you are having to pay for the chip for Bluetooth, right? For the wireless part and the battery and mm -hmm. and it's not a single chip in most cases. If you want quality, it's multiple chips. So this I think is gonna solve a lot of problem and that means that very soon I think I'll be able to enjoy wireless audio maybe with a little dongle that's actually a headphone jack on the end that's actually a wireless uh, Bluetooth 8 apt X HD dongle that lasts forever on a charge and is tiny and I leave in my bag and then I won't care about the headphone jack anymore because I still can use all my wired headphones <laughs> with a tiny little high quality basically what this Fio U uh, K1 is this this uh, gum pack size USB headphone amp but in a Bluetooth form factor I think Very we could exciting. all we could all agree that Bluetooth audio could get a lot 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 better. Just, and that's what I'm saying. Just don't use manufacturers. Don't use this as an excuse to remove your headphone jack. That's all. Exactly. And at least for now and uh, or forever. And then the other thing I wanted to mention, because I did mention it and I've had it for a while now, are the people that from completely unrelated to anything, but, uh, you know, I usually review the products that I feel that are interesting that are sent to me. And the Ring, the company that makes the Ring doorbell, sent me a Ring doorbell to set, to use. And since I have a house in Portland, Oregon, um, that I spent some of my time in. I thought I'd set it up up there. Uh, and it's been pretty awesome. So I know it's not a new product, but I haven't had one before and I've played with it now. And it's kind of awkward to do a live video of that in some way. Mm -hmm. You know, I do a lot of my videos on my YouTube channel live. I just wanted to mention that they sent me one. I like it. It's a great product. You should consider it. If you, like me, get lots of packages delivered to your house. <laughs> you know this problem. Uh, you, Andrew, you probably oh, have yeah. a concierge downstairs though, right? In your apartment building. Yeah. So... That's, so you have a, that's something I don't have to worry ring. about. Yeah, you have an, a human ring doorbell. Costs a lot more money. It's much nicer. But for me, this has solved a lot of my problems. Um, and there's motion sensing and all kinds of stuff. So check it out, ring. I don't know what the URL is, but it's very well known, the ring doorbell. Check it out. I just want to let you know I have one. I like it. It's a good product. 
etc etc and that's really all i wanted to say do you want to add anything maybe tell us what you have in your pockets right now phone wise andrew oh geez i wish i had enough pockets uh i i think i'm going to keep the oneplus 5 around for a little while longer i'm excited actually to go back to using the galaxy s8 for a little bit because i've been jumping around to the uh the u11 the OnePlus 5, and actually was spending some time with the Pixel as it gets a little bit older to see how that is. So I'm excited to get back to the Galaxy S8 as well, the, the standard smaller one. I can't can't do the Plus. So I think that's where I'm going to be at right now is the OnePlus 5 and the Galaxy S8 for the most part. Cool. I am basically using the OnePlus 5, the U11. You know, I was at 4 or maybe if, you know <laughs> if I have my bag with me. But U11, OnePlus 5, Pixel XL, which is my main daily driver. Uh, and then I have a BlackBerry Key 1. Oh, yeah. I don't have one of those. I still like a lot, but you know what? I can't get used to the hardware keyboard. I mean, it's really good, but I just am too slow on it. I think if it was my main phone and I would like hunker down and get back into it, I'd be golden. But Yeah, that's how I felt about the Proof. I, I just I couldn't, couldn't get up so to speed with it. so much faster with my Galaxy S8 or my g6 or whatever i still have the s8 and the g6 i have an s8 plus by the way and and i use them but they're not in daily circulation anymore i pick them out when i need them for something um i wish i could have all these phones in daily circulation i need more pockets but um but these are good and uh the u11 is remaining in my pocket surprisingly longer than i expected i i kind of like did the review and i published it and i was like ah okay i'm done now and then i was like but i kind of like it you're shiny and you take such good photos yeah you've been posting a lot of really good photos from the u11 thank you um do you want to plug yourself before we wind this down uh yeah the best place to to find me is on on twitter um at my name the last name is martinik m-a-r-t-o-n-i-k so it's andrew martinik it's kind of a long one but you know that's better than doing something weird with a bunch of symbols i think and that's where i publish all this stuff that hits android central all lands on there so that's the that's the best place to find me yeah sorry i guess i've been mispronouncing your name Oh no, uh, you're you're not far off. I kind of, you know, being somebody who've learned French as their first language, I tend to sometimes put the accent on the wrong syllable. Uh even though I've lived in North America for over 30 years. I, I work with a bunch of Canadians as well, so I'm oh used to god, it. Oh my god, yeah, so you're used to it. I'm Canadian too, uh English speaking Canadian, I'm a by country by uh language person. Uh yeah, listen, so thanks for being on and uh again, you know, read Andrew's review of the OnePlus 5 on on Android Central. It's really great. Did you do the U11 review as well? Yes, I did. I did that as well. So, so that's on go. our reviews page. You got two reviews to read. I will link to your reviews uh in my notes. Check them out and uh Andrew's an all-around awesome guy. You should follow him on all the Twitters and Facebooks and everywhere else. Yes. Um, thanks again for being on. If you want to find me, you know where to find me. Um, I'm on this podcast, uh, which is called the Mobile Tech Podcast at mobiletechpodcast.com. The hashtag for it is MobTechCast. Uh, and it's published by World Podcast, who's doing all my technical work and my administrative and operational work. Awesome people. That's why I can bring you the podcast weekly, because I don't have to do too much work other than record it. Um, you can find me on Twitter at Tankerl without the vowels. That's T-N-K-G-R-L, my YouTube channel where I do a lot of unboxing and review videos and I do them live usually, no editing that way, uh, is uh, youtube.com slash Miriam That's M-Y-R-I-A-M-J-O-I-R-E. Please uh, subscribe to this podcast on your favorite um, 
podcast catcher. I'm on iTunes. I'm on Pocket Casts. I'm on everywhere. And Andrew, thanks again for being a rock star and being on my show. Well, rock star, I'm not sure about that, but I really appreciate being on the show either way. You are a phone rock star. That's <laughs> how it goes. All right, guys. Bye, everybody. Guys, gals, folks. See you later. Cheers. Bye. This has been the Mobile Tech Podcast with Tank Girl, proudly presented by worldpodcasts.com. You can visit us online at mobiletechpodcast.com.